Like murder? Well, maybe not murder, but murder mysteries, crime novels. Uh, do you like Paris, France? Well, uh, New York Times best-selling mystery author of the Aimé Leduc series, Cara Black, Cara Black, sorry, is here today. So don't go anywhere. We will be talking with Cara all about Paris and mystery and murder and who knows what else. So stay, stay tuned. Matthew Felix on air starts now. Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, people who create, people who make a difference, coming to you from San Francisco, California. Hope you had a great week. Lots of rain here this week, lots of snow up in Tahoe. We, uh, we've had a lot of flooding. A house slid off the hill in my friend's neighborhood in Sausalito. The Russian River breached its banks and on and on and on. So lots of craziness happening with this extreme weather. I hope that uh, everyone is safe and sound, and hopefully this week things will calm down a little bit. I haven't checked the weather. I don't know what it's uh, supposed to be like, but today was a beautiful day, so if that's any indication, fingers crossed. Always happy for the water, but uh, you don't want too much of it either. As for last week, for me, it was more show planning, and I did something that I have uh, wanted to do and intended to do for a long time. I finally created a YouTube channel for the show. Now, I say for the show because, of course, I had a YouTube channel for uh, my specific, uh, for me, for my, I had an author, author YouTube channel, but I, I wanted to have a dedicated page uh, for the show for a few reasons, and the main reason being what I'm going to do on this channel, and I just started doing this with last week's episode, is, you know, we digest content. Not everybody wants to watch a whole hour. Everybody's so busy. There's so much other, you know, content competing for their attention, for our attention, and so I was just noticing that a lot, or if not most of those clips out there are about five minutes, you know, two to five minutes to 10 minutes. And so I went back to last week's show and I chopped it up. I sliced and diced it into 14, uh, 14 separate clips based on the questions that I was asking, um, asking Valerie about space tourism. So that is now out there. And I will, of course, be going back to all of my previous episodes when I have time, because it takes a while, uh, but but uploading all of those in different uh, individual segments, like I said, two to five minutes long, and um, hopefully make things more accessible and digestible for people who don't want to spend the entire hour with us. Although why someone wouldn't want to spend the entire hour with us is, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to. But anyway, so that's, that's going on. I'm excited about that. And to check out that channel, you can just um, YouTube, you know, search for Matthew Felix on air. And uh, the channel should come up. I also did a lot of uh, memorizing and refining and staging of my upcoming one-man show that is based on my new book, Porcelain Travels. The performances will be held here in San Francisco at the Marsh Theater, actually almost within sight of this window on uh, Valencia Street here in the Mission. In Well, we're not in the Mission, but we can see the Mission uh, in the Mission here in San Francisco. And the performances are taking place on March 11th and March 25th. I was really excited and I'm really honored to get to be a part of that. There will be four performers each night and it's for people who are working on working on new shows. And um, you can already order tickets at themarsh.org or you can get tickets the night of the performance. Um, but I think, I think the theater seats about 100 people. So you might want to get those tickets now just in case, just to be safe. 
So that is March. And then in April, as I mentioned last week, I will be, uh, be presenting Porcelain Travels in Paris, which again, I'm super excited about at Litwings Paris. And this week, event organizer who, uh, you know, Erin Byrne, who's also an author and a filmmaker, she's been on this show a couple times. Well, she, she announced the lineup. And the lineup includes Ernest White II, who is host of the travel documentary series Fly Brother, award-winning photographer and writer Lerna Merch, who is also Lerna Merch, who has also, which I know I'm not saying that right. I don't know. It's Danish. It shouldn't be that hard. I can't get it right. Uh, anyway, love her. Love her photography. Loved the conversation I had with her on my show, I don't know, nine months ago. And I uh, can't wait to see her again. So that'll be great. She's going to be, again, the photographer. And then the last guest, other than myself, is Tony Alberto Rigettini, who is a poet, playwright, and screenwriter, screenwriter, as well as host of Spoken Word Paris. So that should be a lot of fun. If you are in Paris on April 11th, then please stop by. It's at La, Bibli um, La Café Othèque, which is close to the uh, Hôtel de Ville, which is the, um, the city hall in Paris. So it's also in a great location, really central. If you're in Paris, there's no reason for you not to show up. So I hope to see you there. Last thing before we start uh, today's show, I just want to say who's going to be on next week. This is another show about which I'm really excited. Um, acupuncturist Janice Feichtmeier is going to be on. Now, acupuncture for me has been such a life lifesaver. I had a, a condition, I don't know, 25 years ago that Western medicine just, first of all, they told me I didn't have a problem when I was in excruciating pain. Uh, and I tried all these different modalities, traditional modalities, and finally a friend said, um, what about, you know, have you tried acupuncture? And at the time I'd heard of it, didn't really know much about it. Like I said, complete lifesaver. And I've, I've been sharing acupuncture with people ever since. And it's just fascinating on top of it. So I'm going to have uh, Janice on to talk all about it. And I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, so after this message from my sponsor, Wordspace Studios, we'll be back to talk with New York Times bestselling mystery writer, Kara Black. A quick thanks to San Francisco's Wordspace Studios for sponsoring Matthew Felix on Air. Wordspace Studios' mission is to bring together writers and thinkers of all ages and experience. Wordspace will soon be offering creative writing workshops, a literary book club, and guided writing groups. And Wordspace is already offering writing residencies. They are submission-based, and they provide writers with room and board for up to one month. To find out more, you can email info at wordspacestudios.com. Kara Black is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of 17 books in the private investigator Aimé Leduc series, which is set in Paris. Kara has received multiple nominations in the Anthony and McCavity Awards, a Washington Post Book World of the Year citation, the Médaille de la Ville de Paris, the, city, uh, the Paris City Medal, which is awarded in recognition of contribution to international culture, and invitations to be the guest of honor at conferences such as the Paris Polar Crime Festival and Left Coast Crime. More than 400,000 books she has in print. Uh, the Aimé Luduc series has been translated into German, Norwegian, Japanese, French, Spanish, Italian, and Hebrew. They're currently working on a Pig Latin version, which I hear is going to be amazing. Cara's uh, love of all things French was kindled by the French-speaking nuns at her Catholic high school, where Cara first encountered French literature. Not surprisingly, Cara has been to Paris many, many times, and rumor has it that she's going to be there again soon. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Bienvenue, Cara. Bonsoir. Bonsoir, oui. Bonsoir. Merci d'être venu. Merci. Uh, ravi de faire votre connaissance. Oh, all right. That's all the French will do uh, because we're in America. We're in America. We're in America. We're in California. God damn it. Speak the language. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, 400,000 books in print. So at what point? 
do you feel an obligation to spend some weekends planting trees? Planting trees. Yeah, because that's a lot of paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just, I just, I wish, I look forward to the day where I get remotely close to that. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, and before I get too far, so that was a joke, but before I get too far, this is not a joke. Uh, we are going to, Kara has agreed to take questions at the end of today's show. So uh, if you have any questions, maybe you already have questions for Kara, if you already know her work. Uh, but as we go along, if any questions occur to you, jot them down. And when we get near the end of the show, we will, uh, we'll take those questions. Okay. In all seriousness, before turning to writing full-time, you were a barista in the Basel train station cafe in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. You taught English in Japan, where I believe you met your husband. Yes. Was that during the English teaching period? He was or in different? my class. He I was in your class. Yeah, oh, okay. I went to university there, too. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, you studied Buddhism in Dharmasala in northern India, and you worked as a bar girl in Bangkok. I mean, is there something you need to come clean on about that last job? What happens or? in Bangkok stays in okay, Bangkok. Okay, okay. Well, you eventually went on to work as a preschool director. I guess they didn't check your background. And then as an agent of the federally funded Head Start program. Mm -hmm. So my question then, after all those different experiences, is how and when did you transition full-time to writing? Oh, that took a long, long time. I yeah. was a preschool teacher, yeah. and then I, you know, got my credentials. So I was, I was vetted. Okay, Matthew, right, I was, right, a, okay. I had everything. I did my student teaching. Um, yeah, and then I was a, when my son was born. I went to student te or no substitute teaching part time. Yeah, so I was always working. Um, you know, part time teaching until I don't know, eleven, twelve books in. Yeah. Oh, you were teaching even while you were writing all those books. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. My son was great. And but you had a son that you were raising. Yeah, but again, he got, into, yeah, he got into school and I could work when he was in school. Um, and it was all part-time. So okay. it was very substitute teaching. And you I could decide whether you, needed to, whether you took the gig that day, depending on what you had going on. And that sort exactly. Of thing. And uh, lots of times I was writing at a you know, softball practice in the bleachers or in the car waiting for pickup time, you know, as, as many people do, especially right. mothers. Right, exactly. Mothers just juggling all the different things they've got going on. But it's fantastic you were able to get writing into that. I mean, because that's, yeah, that's great. Was it, uh, was it mystery from the get-go? Have you always written mystery? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what um, what drew you to that genre versus other stories? And because it sounds like you didn't even need to experiment. You just knew that that was that was what you were going to write. Well, I knew I wanted to write about uh, a story my friend told me about her mother, a hidden Jewish girl in the Marais during the German occupation. Right. I didn't know how to frame that story or how to tell that story, and it was actually my father, who's this voracious uh, reader, who. I don't know, later in life when he retired, started reading mysteries. He would go to the library on Saturday, take out seven books, all mysteries, read a book a day because he was retired. Yeah. And he was really into it. And he would say, oh, you know, you should think about this and you could talk about that story. And, be, and I, I, you know, dad, no, no, you know, mysteries, poo, you know. But Interesting. So you weren't even into them initially. No. Yeah. It wasn't like you had read all these Nancy Drews or whatever. As a, as well, a little I read Nancy Drews, yeah. but that, that I guess was so it. did I. I read the Hardy Boys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't your thing. Mm -hmm. And he's bringing all these books home and then, and he was encouraging you to get into mystery. Yeah. And he was the, saying, yeah. you have this incredible story. What better way to frame it? And I like that when I started reading, of course, Mysteries and Sarah Paretsky, you know, who started kind of trailblaze for female writers, uh, Marsha Muller, who lives up in the North Bay. 
And it was like, yeah, you know, you could tell the story. And it wasn't just a whodunit. It was, you know, social realism, socioeconomic status. It was so much more. But I love the framework. Mm -hmm. Something happens. There's Mm -hmm. an inciting incident. Usually it's murder. Why? You know, there's an investigation. There's, you know, a whole route of investigation. Then there's a climax. And then we find out some form of justice is served. Not everything. Not everything is tied up with a bow. Yeah. You said specifically in a couple, I think, of the interviews that I read, the kind you wanted uh, Aimé to serve the kind of justice that isn't always served in real life, essentially. And I thought that was an interesting twist. Why? Can you just speak to that a little bit? Is it just simply because you wished the world were more just or was there more to it or what were were your thoughts there? I think it's an every person kind of thing. I mean, I think one day I was going out to get in my car and somebody had had winged me really bad and I had to take it in. It was a hundred dollar deductible for nothing. And then it was just like, that's it. I want some, I, you know, can't Amy Ledoux come and get that person or, you know, isn't there someone, you know, there's all these things we suffer in life that we have to take on the chin and keep on moving. And there's so many people who can't afford, you know, a lawyer, can't afford someone to keep hounding. Um, you know, a lot of times in bureaucracy, you've got to keep going and going right. until you get an answer. Right. And a lot of us just don't see justice in our lives. And I thought, this is someone, she would she would help that person, yep. you know. Yep. And I did see graffiti once in Paris in the metro, uh-huh. and it translated to, the true heroes stay anonymous. Mm. It's not done for glory or right. for, you know, money. It's right. done because it needs to be done. Right. Like the underdog, that. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it's always been um it's always been mystery so far as the genre, but then it looks I was wondering before I saw your entire um your, the entire series, I hadn't looked at all the other titles yet. I was just reading your, the uh, the current one, Murder on the Left Bank. And I wondered does she always do murder? And then of course I looked at your other books and every one is murder. So why murder? Why not? <laughs> well, because there are so many other cri- types of crime, right? So you could have had Aimé fighting a whole bunch of different things. So mm-hmm. what, or, or is, it maybe, is that maybe just the answer? Why not? It just worked and it's fascinating and you just went with it. Maybe there, maybe there wasn't a, you know, a reasoning behind it. It just, it just worked. It, all the stories are come organically. So murder in the mare, it was like... And then when you think of a murder mystery, when you think of a mystery, the stakes have to be high to be it, to make it compelling and mm-hmm. a compelling story for the reader. And what is the thing that is that, you know, what happens when someone steps over the line and kills someone? You know, everything has changed. Everyone's life has changed. And it, there's a ripple effect and it just goes beyond. That's sort of the ultimate crime murder right um and you may do it because you've been you know committing crimes in other ways and now it you know someone has to stop it and they step over the line so it just sort of came like that you know it raises the stakes and the people that do it are probably desperate they're pushed to the limit um it makes for a good villain too yeah do you think would that be your answer to this question or would you have something else to add because my next question was going to be and like i said maybe you just answered it maybe not um why do you think as a culture, and maybe it's not even just a culture, maybe it's just, maybe as humans, why do you think we're so almost obsessed with murder? And what I mean is, you know, we look at the TV shows, every other TV show is a detective or even a hospital or a police or every other show, <clears throat> excuse me, practically on like network TV at least. Um, and so, and it's, it's always fascinating to me because it's not just people who love violence or who love horror that are watching those shows, right? It's very mainstream 
likes likes murder. There's a fascination with murder. So is it just kind of what you just said? It's the extremity. It's um, it's the fascination with the psyche, or do you think there's more to it, sort of culturally it, societal? Yeah, I think yeah. it's a way to get answers. You know, that you can see in a book, in a you know, in a show, that you do get an answer, and in real life, we don't get answers. Yep. often, often, yeah, yep. and nothing is really resolved. So there is a finite. Plus, it's also escapism. Let's face it; this right. is entertainment. It's a way to watch something horrific happen. In the you know, reading in your bed, safe, or you know, on your couch watching, you can you know vicariously you know enjoy it. And I think the really good books. I mean, ev- let's face it; every novel has a secret or some crime, usually at the core. It's you know, and maybe it's not focused on the murder, but there's something there right. that w- that's why we're reading. Yep. And it it's a way I don't like gratuitous violence. I don't read it. I don't I don't write it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more about suggesting suggesting and hinting. Yes. But it's also that when something like this happens, what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. what would you do? We can yep. all ask ourselves that. And we probably can't help ourselves even from asking ourselves that. Right. Right. If we're there and you've drawn me in, I might not necessarily want to be there looking at this this crime scene. But if I'm there with you and you've taken me there, I don't have a choice. And a part of me is probably like, oh, but then a part of me like at a car wreck, I can't turn away because mm-hmm. I'm fascinated and it's touching deep inside on different levels. And It's the ultimate crime. Yeah. You know, you've lost someone. Your whole life has changed. What do you do? What if you, you know, I often say I do a lot of workshops, writing workshops, and I say, think about this. You know, you're driving in Marin at night. You've had maybe two glasses of wine, you know, one over the limit. Right. It's dark and you're driving out from a party. You're fine. And you, someone has run out into the road. What if you hit them? Yeah. You know, what would you do? Well, of right. course you'd stop. Of course, of you'd get course. Out your you cell call phone. the police right away. Probably. But, yeah. Right. What if you? What were if no over one is around? Limit? No one's around. What if you're over the limit? What if you'd ever really know? You've got a family. You've, you've got, got to a think family? of your family. You you've don't. Had, you don't want. You can't. You have too many DUIs already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the person's already dead. Yeah. Right. It's not mm-hmm. like you can't bring them back. Mm-hmm. So do you really need to and call the police? they'll see where the phone, you know, cell phone tower is and they'll find your number yes. and, you know, all that. But. Yeah. Better just to drive on mm-hmm. and just, you know. Okay. What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? But that's, that, that is the point, though, is that we can't help but put ourselves in those situations. Yeah. Um, no matter how horrific. And there's, it's probably like a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. We choose to do it because there is the thrill, there is the rush. Only this is a Or we're compelled to do it. Or we're compelled. Yeah. Because we can't go back. We can't, you know, we hit someone. We can't change that, yeah. you know. But, and again, you're reading this in the safety, uh, you know, wherever you are on BART, you know, at home. Yeah. You know, you can, you can, we have that yeah. kind of, uh, I don't know. Encapsulate curtain? us or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about sticking here with, with mystery specifically. Um how do you write a mystery? Now, I know that's a huge question. And like you said, you teach workshops. We could talk about that for days and days and days. And that's, but just at a high level, and I'm not talking about the research because I'm going to ask you about the research because that's really interesting as well. It's the best part of my job. And it sounds like it. Yeah, it it sounds like it. So like I said, I have a whole section that we're going to talk about the research, but at a sort of higher level, um, when, when the time comes and you say, okay, it's time for me to write number 19 of, of the series, for example, just tell me at a high level, sort of what that process entails. I can only come at it from, I write a series, so I have a cast of characters now, and my series goes a few months ahead in her life, Mm -hmm. you know, what would be happening. So it's, for me, it's, I think you have to think of the setting and place where the story takes place, because no matter if you're writing a a story set in Paris, or in Noe Valley, or, 
in Reno. It's, it's a character in the story because mm-hmm. why is this story taking place here? Yep. And I think, what is, you think, what is the story? Why is it happening here? And why now? I think those are questions you should ask before you start writing. Right. It's the what if, you know, mm-hmm. what if. So w- ask yourself questions. What it, what's going on? Who's going to get involved? Why would they get involved? What can happen? Why here? Why now? I think asking those questions, you go, well, of course, because it's subconsciously in your mind. You're going, yes, it's about this or that. I'm going to it starts to take shape. Yeah. Ask yourself, why here? Why now? Yep. And you just talked about place as being a big factor in that. And for you, place is Paris. Mm-hmm. And all of these, um, for people who don't already know, all of, you, all of your stories in the Aimé Le Duc series happen in Paris. And you said that in one of the, uh, in Writer's Digest interview from um, last year, I think, you said that you start, or they said that you start by picking an arrondissement, so an administrative district in Paris, and then a crime that reflects the type of people who live and work there. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, and you can see, can everyone see right, the look, metro map here? There we go. It's There's a little 20, bright because I yeah, messed up the lighting because the sun just went down. It's not your fault, but yeah, no, it looks pretty good actually right now. Yeah. There's 20 arrondissements in Paris. You can hold it up here. Which is like districts, right? Like yeah. The, uh, there we go. The administrative districts of Paris. There they are. Right. All 20 of them. So I've been writing about actually 18 of these arrondissements, but each arrondissement has four quartiers. So in theory, I could be doing this until I'm in a wheelchair, but I'm oh, not. Oh, okay. Interesting. But yes, for me, it's about this place. What is it that appeals to me? And I want to write about different, you know, what is the character? And often I've read a newspaper article about a crime that happened there. And I realize that, or I I have friends who are French policemen. I take them out for drinking, wine, and I say, you know, maybe they worked in that district or they have a friend who worked there. I said, what happens there? Right. And I was very lucky in in the book we're going to talk about, Murder in um, the Left Bank, that I met a a policeman who uh, used to be on the beat, you know, cobblestone. Yeah. In uniform. Now he's undercover. He's okay. uh, playing clothes. Well, playing clothes. And this was his area, the 13th arrondissement. So he told me what it was like when he was younger in the 90s, when the, the book 90s, takes place, yep. what crimes were here, what crimes were there with purse snatching here or wh- whatever. And it was invaluable. I bet. You know, it painted this picture. But for me, it's to, so anyway, to get to your question, it's, it's about what, why would this crime, why would she, you know, be happening here? What is plausible? What is organic? What would she be doing there? Because she has a business to run. And, and, and so that all comes together. And sometimes I don't know much about the arrondissement, which is really which the is best. Which is a great opportunity for you. Yeah, yeah I learned so learn. much. It's fresh. Yeah, that's how I feel about this show. Mm-hmm. Is Like I said, I haven't read murder for, for a long, or mystery for a long time. And it was great to have this opportunity to get back into it. Because it's not, you know, uh, it's... It's just great to, yeah, get to learn new things, expose ourselves to different experiences, all that kind of stuff. And especially in your case, it's basically you're getting to know someone even better that whom you love, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting to know Paris that much better, a different side of her, if we refer to her in, as, as uh, in the feminine or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that must yeah, be great. And, I, and actually, a lot of times I go, I don't want to write about this. I, I really... Tried not to write about it, and then I realized there was something, and then I got seduced, if uh-huh, you will. Exactly. But you really fall in love with this, you know, the special, unique things that happened here. Yeah. You know, the traditions. I mean, it was, it had a Gobelin tapestry factory that yeah. still is there. You have this incredible tag art. So it really is unique. That's all over Paris, but yeah. it's about digging for it. Right, right. 
And it might be all over Paris, but it might be more relevant or more specific to a particular area. Yeah, right, in this exactly. case, particularly the tapestry mm-hmm. place, oh, right? In the Gobelin. Um, okay, the last question I want to ask specific to mystery is how you structure it. And again, high level, because that's a whole art. But, you know, my reading a mystery, I'm thinking the whole time, how do you keep all these strands together? How do you confuse me, the writer or the reader, and then bring it all back in a way that one, it seems like it'd be easy to make mistakes. Um, so I'm curious, like, how do you make sure that everything comes back together in a way? I'm also wondering, you know, did you, have you ever had a book published and then you realized afterwards, oh shoot, there's an inconsistency there that, you know, that my editor missed or something. So can you just speak to that a little bit about how you kind of structure the mystery itself? Sure. Well, I have an incredible editor, so she doesn't let me. She doesn't let you. Yeah. Okay. No danger there. But I think what it is, it's the art of misdirection, Mm -hmm. you know, because you always want to play fair. And I think it could be Agatha Christie, excuse me, or someone else, but you want to get the protagonist, usually the villain, in there at the beginning and, you know, introduce them or have them have them there, you know, throughout the book. So at the end, you you know, we don't have twins. No, no twins. <laughs> we don't have amnesia. Uh-huh, we uh-huh. have something that makes sense. Those are a little too easy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, and it's the kind of thing you, it's the reader or I go, my God, it was there. And I go back and I check. It was all set there. The seeds were planted. The Because you know people are going to go back and make sure. And I do it as yeah, well. Yeah, you do as yeah. well, of course. I'm like, yeah. wait, yes. Yeah. It's here. It's right. Yeah. So, you know, it's that clever thing. And I think for me, and I, I talked to Ian Rankin, a very uh, well-known Scottish prime writer, and he goes, yeah, it's that or, or misdirection or uh-huh. however you do it in a uh-huh. Scots action. Uh-huh. I won't try. The, yeah. But it's also <laughs> doing many, many drafts yeah. because you have to go back and go, why? Oh. In your head, you know it as a writer, This, but then you put it in. Yeah. So I don't think you should worry too much, but just make X's. Maybe I need to go back and revisit this. But basically, you have to think about the arc. Yeah. You know, if you're having a crime novel, you've got to have <clears throat> a crime, a murder, you know, investigation. You have to have red herrings. Uh, you have to have clues that lead you down the wrong path. You have to have somebody, you know, somebody will die too because the stakes are getting higher. Um, there's a lot of things you can think of. But again, you can make a timeline, which is helpful. Do you helpful. do you storyboard? I mean, do you have a visual thing where so you can see how it all... Because that's what I would need. I would need some sort of visual, okay, to make sure there are no inconsistencies and see how it's all related. Or are you able just to do it up here? <laughs> No, okay. I use post-its. You do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. then they blow away or they get lost or the dog ate them or something. Yeah. So so then I have to start again. Uh-huh. I don't do <laughs> I don't do anything until page 100 of a draft. If I feel at page 100 this is a story this is going to gel, then I timeline it. And I go Amy is here, ah, René was doing this, this would be happening and this would be happening and then I can see no, well he would be doing this on Thursday, not Tuesday or then I can move it around and then I can move on, but I have to feel I have a story and look at the timeline. Um I just was speaking with someone yesterday and I haven't used it. It's a program called called Scrivener. Yes, I have it. Yep. You have it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've heard They have great- cards. Yeah, they have the cards so you can you can do that visual. I've heard it's great, but it's also a learning curve. To it learn is it. a little bit of a learning curve. Um, I've kind of gone back to Word. We can talk about that offline. <laughs> okay. But the visual part is good. And the yeah. reason I, w- I was using it, the reason I actually decided to, to go with it for quite a while was um, because it was so easy to change the order of the chapters mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Word has the master document functionality that's trying to do that. But I've had lots of 
it kind of works, kind, kind of doesn't stuff with that. So I liked the visual being able to move the chapters around and, and the outline around very easily. I didn't use the note card stuff so much. I thought I would. Yeah. I end up using kind of hard mm -hmm. copy stuff too, even it's though I don't nice write mystery, but I just like, there. I need to see mm -hmm. it. Right. And even if you've got a similar interface with cards and stuff, it's still on this little screen. Exactly. And it's nice. And then you can just cross off and write and, you know, change it. Technology is great, but there's still sometimes I just need, yeah, I need the, I just moved a whole visceral. chapter in a different place and I just uh, saved and cut and pasted. Yeah. So well, that's the thing. There are, there are, there are workarounds. There are ways yeah. that you can do it just as easily with the current, current stuff. But yeah. But anyway, oh, I, I, yeah. um, they always say start, don't start at the beginning, start in the middle, mm -hmm. you know, middle of action mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and oh, don't, you know, solve everything at the end of a chapter. You can leave someone leave hanging. Leave some stuff open. You yeah. Know. Well, and I think you sometimes do that at the end of your books, it sounds like too, right? I was reading about one of the books where, oh, I know what the story was. Your editor was saying, maybe this was your very first, no, I think this was a more recent book. Anyway, you can tell me. Uh, but your editor was crying and saying things aren't resolved here. And your answer was, well, they're not resolved. And this was the end of the book. They're not resolved. And I don't know how they're going to resolve yet. And that was the end of the book, not just a chapter. So sometimes, particularly because you know this is a series, things might be left. The book might not resolve everything, right? Yeah. Even it resolved, resolved in what the happened story to itself, a character. Right. Within. <clears throat> right. Right. Yeah. The, the story we knew. But, and so then she said, good. Write a, write a prequel. Right. So I did. I oh, that's what it was. It was about your, yeah, how yeah. you ended up writing the prequel, which yeah. was a couple books ago, I think. Yeah. I mean, I was ago. like 12 books into the series yeah. <laughs> before I wrote a prequel. Let's so. do the, the backstory. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's, again. Um, oh, Kimberly. Do you know Kimberly Lovato? No. Okay. Yes, Cause, sort cause, of. Well, because she said she said hello, so I'm hi. assuming. Well, she said bon, uh, bonsoir tous les deux. So I didn't know if that meant you guys knew each other, or you know of each other. I, anyway. Hi, I haven't okay. seen you for a while. Okay, <laughs> well let's let's change that. Um, Diane LeBeau says hello. Kimberly Lovato says hello. Uh, Kimberly loves Scrivener, so we'll have to have a roundtable and decide whether we should. I would love be going to. I would to love Scrivener. to hear about Scrivener because yeah. okay. I'm sure it really works. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm, like you said, what you, it's just do you want to put the time in for the learning curve and is the payoff enough? Um, for me, like I said, I kind of went back to word. Yeah. So, okay. Next subject here is we, we keep talking about Paris. We're going to keep talking about, about Paris for the rest, um, for the rest of the show, no doubt. But I want to talk specifically about Paris now, and I'm not going to ask you the origins of your love affair with Paris because every interview I read with you, you already had to answer that question. So I'm going to answer it for everyone. Her love affair of Paris started, you can add something if you want. But uh, her father was Francophile. She had an uncle who lived in Paris. She went to a Catholic French uh, French school where she where that's all it all got started for her, right? Anything Basically, to add? yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. I've seen slight variations on that, but again, <laughs> uh, let's just breeze through that. Okay, but the thing that I haven't seen you talk about in the research I was doing, at least, and this isn't to say it's not out there, is your first trip to Paris. That seemed very interesting, and this was I'm talking about when you were. In, the very first trip, and it came about in a really interesting way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I had written. Uh, yes. I, uh, okay, yeah, I read the famous uh, writer Romain Gary. Yeah, who you're won, in high school at this time. In high right? school, yeah. and he won the Prix Goncourt twice, and you know, I was supposed to win it once. Right. He was married to the American actress Jean Seberg, who was in Breathless, the famous film. Yeah. Um, I read uh, uh, Promise at Dawn, and it just blew my socks off. And right. I wrote a book report on it. I loved this story. I'd never seen someone use language like that. And I wrote him. I was in high school. A yeah. fan letter. Yeah. Uh, probably to New York, you know. And right. To his editor or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, at the end of the summer, I, 
I got a, 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 a letter in the mailbox with a French stamp addressed to Mademoiselle Black. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, did I open it? Mon, <laughs> Mon Dieu. And it was Monsieur Gary had written me a thank you note, handwritten. Right. All, you know, very nice. And on the back of the envelope, he had put his return address, 108 Rue du Bac. And oh, that's a good, that's, isn't that in the Marais? Isn't that right in the middle no, of everything? in the 7th. Oh, in the 7th, okay. Du Bac. okay. Oh, yeah, okay. very, very. Mm. Shishi. Yeah, but nice. Uh -huh. and, uh, and so I was like, oh, my God, and I just saved it. And I took that as a personal invitation. And I went <laughs> to Paris to visit him. And I was okay, but wait, wait. You took it as a personal invitation, but it wasn't necessarily personal. No, he just, you know, put. Oh, his just the fact address. that the address was there, <laughs> which meant you knew how to find him. Yeah. So he didn't say come visit me, but you just went and found him when you got because there. Because that's what you do when you're a fangirl <laughs> and you're 18 years old on your first trip to Paris. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. And you were actually able to track him down. I went to this address, and, and he took me out for coffee. And he more gave, than just coffee, there was another thing you guys shared. Yeah, he gave me my first espresso. And a cigar. Cigar. Mm -hmm, because right. he smoked cigars. Yeah. And I had never drank an espresso, smoked a cigar, and I was leaning on this cafe counter trying to talk to this man and, and puffing and not cough and speak and drink. And it was... So weren't you just blown away? First of all, that he would even, you know, he actually met you and then he took you out for coffee well, and a cigar. I went to his door. He no, didn't know, I know what to do but, with but, me. But, well, first of all, the fact that, I mean, in Paris, there's always the digicode and there's always like three layers of doors to get to the person, first of all. So the fact that he answered and then came down and was so nice i mean you must have been because you're you're again you're like what 16 or 17 or something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's amazing a lot younger wearing you know like flannel shirts and jeans totally right. not parisian right you know maybe he had a break in his writing he was bored he thought how do i get her out of here let's go to the but you know he went to this cafe every day and it was waiting for him so it was this incredible honor yeah and, you know, I, there's so many things I wish I had asked him, but I was. Well, like, that was my next question. Did you? Did he share any big writing nuggets or anything that really lasted, or it was just a nice, friendly encounter? It was incredible. He was yeah. complaining about his roof in this house in Spain, <laughs> <laughs> and his, yet his child, Gene Seberg, had just left him. Okay. So his young boy, who's, who's older now, is uh, was being raised by the Spanish nanny. So there was a lot of things in Spain, and you know, I did. I should have thought, but what did you know? I was just right, kind of right, couldn't right. speak. No, well. no, no, that's, that's very fantastic. kind, very kind, very okay. generous. All right. Well, I just love that story. So, okay, let's talk now about research. Like you said, this is one of the best parts, if not the best part about your job. Um, and I saw lots of different cool, interesting things about how you go about your research. So I'm just going to let you share a few and um, kind of see where we go with that. So what would you talk about with regards to the research and what you like so much about it? Well, I have to do it in Paris, number one. Yeah, so that's, that's a good place to have to start, right? Yeah. Um, for me, it's about, I'm basically trying to put my reader on the street in the in the high heels, the, the stilettos of my detective. Yeah. What she, what she is feeling, you're going to feel what kind of weather it is. You're going to hear the clip-clop, uh, uh, you know, on the stilettos, on, st on the cobbles. You're going to smell the butter from the bakery. You're going to hear that or the siren right? or, you know, smell that the diesel. You're going to be on that street. You're going to see the newspaper headlines with what's happening that day at that time. And again, my books are set in the 1990s. Yep. So what's happening that day? Um, especially when I did Murder on the Quay, the prequel, it was like 1989, the weekend the Berlin Wall fell in November. Mm. And we had just had our little shake and bake here. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the Same big time. earthquake. Yep. Yeah. The bridge collapsed. And yep. 
Yeah, so we had, so I, it's about putting the reader at that time, you know, what was going on. The music of that day, there, Madonna was on her third hit, so uh-huh. they get to go to a party and have uh-huh. all the Madonna songs. I got to do this, I do this little soundtrack in my mind, yeah. or on, you know, what songs were playing. Yeah. And then the cell phone, which her friend had just gotten one, it was like a, you know, a brick. Right? Yes, so, yes. But that was very cool. So it's about bringing reader, but it's it's about me finding those things. I go to the archives to look up old newspapers. I go, I go to the archives for many kind of things. But and each arrondissement has its own archives. I think so you can get specific, yes. very specific information related to that particular. Right. Yeah. If I want to see what that newspaper looked like, and I go down to Stanford to the library, and I, they have the Le Monde and Microfiche. Oh, okay. So I can tell you that oh, day what the weather was, who was visiting, what dignitary, what what strike was going on. Because yeah. as you know, there is yes. always this strike in Paris. At least and one. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's all there. Now I'm not a slave to that because I you know, but I I try to weave that in, like this is what's happening. Amy can't go through there because the nurses are on strike yet again or something. You know, right. there's all these, you know, the tractors are been from the countryside. Right. So it's just about that. So it's to put you in that time in that place. And then, of course, I do uh, research. I uh, My last trip, I was very lucky uh, to go to the police laboratory mm-hmm. where they check the DNA from the blood samples oh, wow. and the fire. And then I had lunch with the fire investigator, uh, an explosion, fire and explosion. So he goes in and, you know, I mean, these are the top notch like people. Fire forensics, like how the fire happened and figuring that all, piecing exactly, it back together, basically. Yeah. yeah. And he told me about this case. It's, uh, you couldn't believe it. But then again, with our headlines today, we couldn't believe these things happened either. But but this is a story you could hardly believe. But he went through. He said, this would be good for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, this is what we did. And this you would never in a million years. But of course, at the end, it all made sense. Right. Because it really happened. Right. So sometimes I get these golden nuggets, this gold I'm given. Like, I could really write about that because it happened. But of course, I fictionalize it. And you know, put it in that time. So I do a lot of research like that. I, I walk around the block, you know, I, uh, maybe many, many times. My husband is like, I'm going <laughs> to wait in the cafe because I don't want to see how that, that grate in the street looks. Yeah. Does he, know? does he go with you usually when you Not go? Not often. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he's just he's learned. Like, yeah, he's learned. He his, learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I can't, because <laughs> uh-huh. I said, I'm working. What can I tell you? Right. But it's also me just going there at different times of the day. Mm-hmm. Get yep. off the metro, right? In the yeah. morning, people rushing to school, the crash. In the midday, who's there? In the evening, people coming home, going for an apéro or whatever. You know, the it's sounds just, are different. The activities, the light, everything's different depending exactly. on the time of day. Yeah, different kinds of people. Yeah, def- definitely, definitely. One thing that I read that you did um, that I like is you you take your digital recorder a lot of times to record the sounds. You have that with oh, you just use your phone, my now. iPhone now. Yeah, you just but use I the used iPhone. To, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but um, but I think that's. That's another, yet another great use of technology, right? But it also speaks to how important the sounds and the sensory experience is, as totally. you just got done explaining, for bringing the reader into whatever the character is experiencing. And the nuance of conversation. I can't remember everything, but if I'm, I'm in a cafe, I've ordered a coffee and someone comes in and they're having, you know, and then there's the whoosh of the milk steamer. The man who's bringing in the cartons of the wine, he's like arguing with someone in yeah. the back and yeah. it's coming over and they're doing the juicer and all that noise. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm so in the moment, but I can't write every time. I just record it. Right. So when I come home and I'm writing, I play that back and I'm back in that cafe. Yeah. You know, I used to not take photos when I would travel because I just wanted to be in the moment. But then as digital photography came into being and as when I started writing about places that I was visiting, 
everything changed and I now, and I do it for that exact purpose because one is I want to be able to experience the moment. I don't, I do want to observe and stuff, but I might want to kind of look into some of the details later. And so I'll just take the camera and then it's less about taking pictures for pretty pictures. For me, it's similar to what you're doing with the recording is, okay, wait, where was that table relative to that exactly. entrance relative? Um, so yeah, the technology is great. Mm-hmm. for all of that and yeah and, and I, sometimes i pretend i'm on the phone and i record people on the bus <laughs> and because That's i don't yeah, yeah and i want to get the way they speak yeah you know that you know how they and everything and one time i was on this bus with this older man and a, a young woman it was the great one that is it the 96 that goes from belleville down to montparnasse uh-huh. crosses paris yeah the whole yeah yeah and through the arrondissements and he was telling her as we as you're going through it's all these different neighborhoods yeah you know? and he was talking about oh i lived there when I was a young boy or oh that's where I you know and just listen like he was like a grandfather I yeah. don't think that was their relationship but it was wonderful it was, it was like a little history lesson yeah, yeah. and, and, and the one way you he wouldn't spoke. get otherwise yeah exactly. and the, the manner of speaking and okay we have so many things else to talk about but one other funny thing you do mm-hmm. that <laughs> that that I read in your pa- your Paris and Perfect blog interview from 2011 you collected something a whole suitcase full of something do you know what I'm talking about oh yeah what's mm-hmm. that I thought the, this was great. Uh, the new, uh, the yellow pages, the phone books, the phone from the nineties, yeah, yellow yeah. and white pages, right, yes. right. Yeah, my friend was yeah. throwing them out, and I'm saying, "What are you doing? I'm throwing them out. No, can I have them? Yeah, yeah. that was so gold had, for you. Yeah, I yeah. had it was gold. I had a, I bought a suitcase. I paid extra. I didn't care. I had you know, so I can look up people's names, and it, it, the listing in those books, which are the time of my stories, I can go and look. Okay, I need a. She needs to go to a dry cleaner in the seventh, and I can look by a dry cleaner by arrondissement. Uh-huh. Now they may not be there now, or it may have changed. It doesn't matter or, if they're there now, though, right? Yeah. But and you know, but again, it's plausible. You know, yeah. it's like there was a dry cleaner, there was a cafe. It could have moved there, whatever. Even the metro stations, like the entrances and exits, may have changed sometimes, or the bus stop is moved. But you know, it's you're pretty you're pretty solid. Yeah. There. Yeah. So that's a lot of the, the, the research that we've talked about has been more sort of, um, not cerebral, but more sort of external, external. Thank you. And so, but you also do a lot of hands on research and there are some funny anecdotes that have come from that. Are there any circumstance or any situations that you would just throw out? Cause I read several that, um, I mean, a lot of the situations you occasionally find yourself in are very much resemble what we might see in an Aimé Leduc book, right? Because can you just throw a couple? I have like I have them in my notes. If you don't have any off the top of your head, but something tells me you probably do. You mean when I lied and said I wrote for a very famous, uh, world-respected newspaper? Yes, that was one of them that I had. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I did, and I we were not saying who it is, and I just said I was a correspondent, and yeah. I, I had you know I really wanted a, a meeting. I wanted to tour this facility, which is a reservoir in Paris in the 16th arrondissement upstairs, and so I. They didn't ask for credentials. I just kind of breezed my oh, you know, this. Will you send us the article when you're finished? Yeah, of course, of course, of course yeah. you know. And As it was, a return the favor, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've done that. And then they know. got a novel in the mail instead. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> you're yeah. like, if, if you get to page two fifty, you'll see it. Um, but you also have ended up in sewers all the time. Yeah, tell yeah. us about the sewers. There's a lot there, so just quickly kind of touch on the sewers because um, you've got friends who go down into the sewers, and that just sounded like a whole fascinating. Again, we talk so much about things that you might see not being a tourist. Well, this is really taking it to the next level, I think. Can you just yeah. touch on that? Sure. And it's not just the sewers because yeah. there's so many levels. Layers of- there's the metro. There's the optic cable, you know, uh, tunnels. There's the under... But the quarries and, you know, 
they always say Paris is like a Swiss cheese. Underneath, it's full of holes, as right, you know, right. the quarries. So there's the underground, which is not necessarily wet, you know, the, under the sewers. And I've gone often with the cataphiles, who are, they call them, it's, it comes from catacombs, people who uh, go through the catacombs. Uh-huh. But, the, but we're not in the catacombs right. here. We're going underground into the, the other limestone, sorry, layer in the catafields. And we go in and, and you climb around and it's illegal, but then you get caught and then they, the, the catafleeks come and, you there know, are catafleeks? there are catafleeks specialized in the catacombs. That's oh, yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, I guess it's I guess it's not funny. I guess they they need to have that. Yeah, because you so could many get people hurt are doing stuff or, down there yeah. and get hurt, and yeah, yeah, yeah and you get tickets. If Interesting. You but I've often gone in there, and and Amy goes in there, and I think that's just fascinating, yeah. you know. And I've had a friend. He has he wears a crowbar in his sleeve. Well, that was one of the things Jeez. that I had yeah. in my notes that was fascinating, and so that he can just whenever lift up the manhole and just go down into wherever they, they want to get. Cause you said he's got like a group of friends that do this. It's oh, a, well, yeah, totally. kind of a thing or whatever. Yeah. It's a yeah. thing. And they're very, they're quiet about it, but he had this crowbar and we just pulled up a manhole near the, near the Arc de Triomphe. And I'm going, there's a bull. He says, come on, hurry. And we went down. You yeah. Know? yeah. So I saw above ground and below ground, 16th arrondissement, very that. posh. And there were rats and it was stinky. And I had to run to a dinner Yeah, and I got to the dinner and everyone's going, that smell. Wait, I was like, you, oh my God, I have to wash my shoes off. Well, the way you described that experience, you said um, in, again, an interview, I don't, I don't have the citation for this one. You said, or they said, she was headed to a fancy dinner right afterwards and had a spot of bother with her shoes. <laughs> yeah. A spot of bother. I thought that was a nice way of saying you had shit on your shoes. Oh yeah. Uh, rat shit, no less. Okay. That was my editor said that. That was your editor. M- yeah. Much being, classier Keeping than it I much am. classier and yeah. clearly more classy than I am as well. Okay. <laughs> All right, there's so much more there. I'm sure there is. But let's get... Oh, no, no, no. There's one last thing. Sorry. There is one last thing I want to ask that is specific to Paris because I, I really liked and I could relate to this quote. You said in a last year's Writer's Digest uh, interview, uh, quote, despite her knowledge of Paris, she admits, quote, I'm, I'm always an outsider. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because you have such a history there. You spent so much time there. You speak the language. You know the place is better than most Parisians, probably, in all reality, right? In cer- in some respects, most Parisians have not been in the, in the different layers, subterranean layers of the 16th, for example. Uh, so despite all that, though, you, you're aware of always being an outsider. So can... I, I- Thoughts I am on that. A, yeah. yeah. I am I'm neither fish nor fowl. I'm very yeah. familiar. Yeah. I feel very at home in a way. Um, you know, and when someone, you know, asks me for directions, I love it when a Parisian asks me uh-huh. for directions. Yep. Yep. And then I can <laughs> shrug and you know, and I last until I open my mouth and they hear the accent, but I can get away with it for like, you know, a second and a half. And it feels or, great. Yeah. Yep. Until but <laughs> I I am, you know, I, I'm okay with that now. I am an outsider. I am not French. I will never be, but I'm also living vicariously, I think, through my detective, and she's do, she's half American and half French. Yeah. You know, she's an outsider. She had a, her single father raise her a, a policeman. So, but I am an outsider, and but I I love it, and I love I just feel comfortable there. I don't yep. know how else to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's okay to be an outsider. Yeah. Because I observe things. Yeah. I was talking yesterday with Sisters in Crime. And someone was saying, well, how can I be an outsider if I'm writing about I live in San Carlos? How can I be, you know, and I say, you've got to be a tourist in your own hood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I look at things, th- my antenna, as I'm sure yours, is, is out when I'm in Paris. Right. 
if I was going to write about Noe Valley, it's like, why? You stop seeing the things yeah. when they become so familiar, unless you make that effort. Unless you make that effort, right. yeah. Right. So so that's true. And I like being an outsider. I'm an outsider, and I don't understand everything. There are things they do I will never in a million years. Yeah. They're so contradictory. Yeah. And I think if I understood <laughs> them, then I have no more mystery. Less why mystique. would I write exactly. them? Yes. Exactly. Okay, so you just mentioned that uh, Aimé is half American, half French. Mm-hmm. Uh, why was that important or why was that? I mean, I guess you did just touch on that. You said because that helps her being the outsider. Was that kind of the main motivation there when you were developing her as a character or was there more to it? Well, there's a lot of detectives that are on the outsider. You know, she's, you know, kind of seeking justice and and doing things most of us wouldn't do. It's the tradition of the detective. Yeah. But I'm also not French. So it kind of helped because you being American, you could kind of, she could have some... Things here and there that might be, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, make those faux pas. Right. And be tactless, as her partner Renee always calls her. Yeah. Because she was, you know, but she was raised by a single father who had French police sitting at the, you know, kitchen table on Friday nights playing poker or belote. You know, she had it. She also had a very different from any French girl as well. Yeah. And so there's this whole other part of her. So she's a bit of an outsider, too. Yeah. Kimberly says, we are always, always in caps. Outsiders as foreigners in France, and it's okay. It's okay. I think we we all agree. You're right. You're right, mm-hmm. Kimberly. We're always outsiders, but we love it, mm-hmm. and we're okay with that. And beyond okay with that, it's kind of, in some situations, advantageous, particularly <laughs> when you're writing about it. Okay, just tell me really quickly for people who aren't, because we're way behind, but that's mm-hmm. okay, because um, this is so interesting, which is why we're behind. Because I am watching the time, and I'm just letting us get behind. But I, just tell people who haven't met. Aimé yet a little bit more about her besides the fact she's an outsider she's half American half French just give us a little bit of an idea idea of who else she is she lives on the Ile Saint Louis uh, because that's where I would like to live yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) it's a sagging 17th century hotel particulier a townhome her father bought after World War II it's you know you put in a hairdryer and uh, they put on the chandelier and the fuses glow, go. Right. So, you know, it's got a lot of... That happens in one of my stories. Oh. I told, I just I just gave Kara uh, my book and that exact thing happens in my Chambre de Bonne, which <laughs> is a servant's quarters in Paris. I use the hairdryer and the fuse blows. Yep. So that is clearly a real thing that happens. It's a real thing. So anyway, so, continue. Has, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she took over her the detective agency, uh, Le Duc Detective, when her father passed away, yeah. uh, was murdered and um, in a bomb expo- mysterious bomb explosion. Place Vendôme. Wait. And his father, so her grandfather, Claude, started the detective agency. Is that Morbier? No, 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 that's not no, Morbier. He's Morbier her godfather. Is the other. That's right. Yeah. Her father's first uh, colleague on the force. Yeah. But so she, Amy took it over and turned from criminal, which she was trained to computer security, and runs it with Rene Friant, a computer hacker extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. It's based on. Um, the real Duluc detective, yeah. 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 Uh, and Martine, who runs it, I sort of stole her history, and she's okay with it now. Yeah, um, yeah. And but I see her; I'll see her in May. And you, uh, you take people to the to the agency to meet her when you yes, do your tours. I think so right. Wonderful. Yeah, so she's yes. totally into it. And yeah, appre- yeah, and probably appreciates the the uh, she's the been, shout out or the uh, yeah yeah just the nod her their, their way and the, the referencing her whole family's tradition and and, mm-hmm. and that establishment yeah yeah that's and cool. Amy is taller and thinner than I am she has a two sold <laughs> sheet right, right. and she uh, doesn't she she doesn't have a car she walks or takes her bike she's well well she has her 
her pink ves- Vespa. Pink Vespa. Who needs yes. a who needs a car when you've got a pink Vespa? Mm-hmm. Although now she's got the bébé. Yeah. Well, there's a little thing that there's Renee little, made for the bébé. A yes. little panier for a <laughs> panier de bébé. <laughs> yeah. Hand 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 rigged. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I hope Renee knew what he was doing. Uh, um, okay. So one question I have about Aimé is um, the same character for 20 years. So because you're coming up on 20 years, congratulations, by the way, you're coming up on 20 years. So any thoughts on that? You know, um, clearly you're not getting bored with Aimé. And so how do you keep that relationship going and keep it interesting and fresh both for yourself and for for readers? Because 20 years is a long time. It's a long time, but yeah. I, I hope that's a great question. And um, but for me, it's always been I've just sort of joined this journey with Aimee and we're just going. I never knew she would have a baby. I didn't know she would do this. I didn't know what would happen. We've just organically moved on. And while t- this year it's 20 years of Aimee Le Duc, a book birthday of sorts, it's only five and a half years in her life. Mm, uh-huh, the first book, Murder in the Marais, is 1993, and uh, now we're up to 1999. Yep. And she's had a baby, and life has changed, and but she's still working. She's got to earn, she's got to butter that baguette. You know? Yeah, it no doesn't matter. happen by itself. Yeah. And she's so, living on Yves Saint Louis, by the way, mm-hmm. which is not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she can't afford to sell it because of the inheritance taxes. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, okay, but she so can't afford to, yeah. you know, it's that. Stuck that, on Yves Saint Louis. I know, oh, but it's that breaks. thing that I have a lot of friends, they get these great places, yeah. but they can't afford to, you know, whatever, yeah. all that. Yeah, no, I've heard of that. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So anyway, she's, but I've just sort of moved along with her life and yeah. seeing where she's going. I never knew what would happen. We've sort of gone through a, a saga finding out or or maybe finding out why her father was murdered in the mysterious bomb explosion. What happened to her mother who left her when she was mm-hmm. eight years old? This, uh, this American, is she a CIA operative? Ooh, next book. Uh, I think she might be. Yeah, we, we get to see be. her. Yeah, and and so all this from Amy's like Morbier, her godfather, the commissaire. You know what's really going on with him? Um, so they, they've just sort of taken a life of their own. Yep. And uh, and then I have two more Arandis months to go, and then. Finito. Well, okay, so that's one of my questions, um, and that question was going to come later. But since you just brought that up, I was going to say, you know, I'm worried. What happens when we get to the twentieth arrondissement? Qu'est-ce qu'on va faire après? Marseille. Marseille. Ah, that would be actually, there's a lot of intrigue down in Marseille. I love Marseille. That would be a good, and, and then you've got the whole Mediterranean. Oh, I think that's good. I think we just, that was easy. Yeah. That so question easy. was was way easier than I thought. I thought I've you would be. I've been asked this yeah. a lot. I've been thinking. <laughs> right, that's true. I'm sure that's not the first time you've been asked no, that question. No, but I was actually but, yeah. in Marseille in May. Okay. Putting Marseille out. Marseille in May. Putting it out. Putting yeah. out feelers, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great, I think that makes perfect sense. Okay, we just solved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's down the road. That's mm-hmm. down the road. That's because you've got two more. The one that's coming out is number eighteen or number nineteen. The number um, nineteen. Bel Air. Bel Air is nineteen. Mm-hmm. So okay. I've written eighteen books. Right. Bel Air is about I to come have, out in June. And then I Bel Air, and then I have actually, I have to do two more around these months after this. Oh, one. because one of them was the uh, the backstory. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. So you're on. You will actually have written twenty one books for twenty arrondissements. May we? so to speak, if you will. Okay. Mm -hmm. How did, just really quickly, because I just think this is, I'm just really curious, how has having a baby changed Aimee? Because that's got to be huge, right? This detective and that lifestyle. And I, like I said, this was my first uh, Luduc book, so I don't know her backstory, but I can just imagine that 
she's running around. She's got spiky hair and tattoos and she's on her Vespa. And now she's got a kid, but she's still doing the detective work. So just in a, if you could quickly summarize kind of some of how that has changed her. Sure. Because it's got to be big. I mean, yeah, it's huge. But she's always wanted family. You know, when her father was gone, her mother who disappeared. So she's wanted family. And, um, you know, she's always felt kind of uh, there's a hole there that. And so now when she has the baby, she realizes, what can I do? But, you know, a lot of women just. <laughs> you right. bring the baby to work and Renee the is the godfather. Yeah, yeah, and you just make it work. Um and she has changed a bit. She's gotten a little more mature. Uh-huh. So um because my editor said this will help challenge her, this will help her grow. The character is growing and changing, but she's still basically who she is. Yeah. And I think there's a line in in the book you read that talks about she was wired this way. She mm-hmm. cannot change herself. Right. Right. But she has to be a mother and and not do what her mother did to her she thinks yeah so that's very important this whole mother thing all during all through the books but now that she's a mother she doesn't want to be that way but she's also wired away so she's got a lot that of it's conflict. a lot of amb- yeah yeah ambiguousness it's it's really different murder on the left bank okay so we've pretty much been talking about that but there's one thing i did want to say uh congratulations on being nominated for a northern california book award thank you uh, when do you find out about that? When, do you know when those are I announced? I don't know. Maybe okay. March. Is it Acorn? It's, or the Poppy or something like that? I think it's the Poppy. The poppy. I think I think I did see something about it being a Poppy. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's an Acorn, although it could be a Black Oak Acorn. Yeah. That would work too, right? <laughs> okay, so congratulations on Thank that. Thank you. Um, but many other great authors are in there too, so I'm just happy. Hey, we're taking it one step at a time here. We're taking it one <laughs> The point is you got nominated. It's an honor to be nominated, we always say, right? Of course. Okay. Um, we talked about the Duluc th- uh, already okay one thing you did for this this uh this book is you actually went to cambodia mm-hmm. and part of it is because um there's a cambodian um the Khmer, well Khmer, yeah Khmer, right and so i was going to ask you specifically about that trip but i think instead i'm just going to ask you in the interest of time about history seems to be very important and and the cultural backgrounds of the people and and sort of representing what paris is today in addition to its past and so maybe tell us why you felt the need to go to Cambodia and how just in general you suffuse the stories with, with the different histories, modern and, and, and from before as well. Because there's a lot of from way back in, oh, in the right. one that the I read secret. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a secret from World War II, but yeah. it sparks Again, it off. No, no, no spoilers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But yes, Cambodia. Well, I've always wanted to go to Cambodia. My whole family, we went, we had a, a friend who worked for the UN uh, UN food program in Bangkok. He was retiring, and he said, "If you're going to come and stay with me, you got to come now because I'm, you know, I'm retiring." Mm-hmm. So we went and stayed with him. There was a whole group of us, and we went to Cambodia because it's right there, and yeah. and to see, you know, uh, Angkor Wat. We went up country. Uh, we went through where there are mi- still mines. Mine, uh, uh, everything mines. is not demined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We went and, and we saw incredible, I mean, you know, Angkor Wat and all these incredible things. But when we were going with someone, they're saying you have to be careful. Even now, after mm-hmm. all these years, yep. we went to the mine museum and I could talk forever about that. But there was this incredible French, tiny French influence left because the French, it was a colony. Yeah. And they have the road markers, if you remember. They look like tombstones. They used to have them in France, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, just the, yeah, yeah. the so traditional. Kilometers to right. Saigon or not Saigon, Phnom Penh or whatever. Yeah. I was always looking for those. They have still some old villages, Eco de Gasson, you know. And then they have in the market in, in Siam Reap, there's baguettes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm saying to my son, see, the French influence, see, see, see. And he goes, oh, you're making, I said, no, you know. No, but some things be- 
get integrated into the culture. Totally. Right? And it was only and the older people who would remember French and speak French, but a yeah. lot of them are gone, right, because of the Khmer Rouge and what happened. So when I was in Paris and in the 13th, which has this very big Asian, it's not Chinese, it's an Asian population, yeah, sort of like Asie. us. Yeah, the, you know, the Vietnamese, the Cambodian, the Laotian, the Thai. So it's the Petit Asie. And so when there were the Cambodians, I was really interested. Who would these Cambodians be? They would be young because their parents would have left in the 70s to, uh, you know, uh, to, from escape, the, to and, escape from the Khmer Rouge and, and all that. And, and I really wanted to talk. So what a young woman who was probably born in Paris and, you know, but has all that background. And they are living in those, you know, those tower blocks. Mm -hmm. What's the Aish? Wait, Aish. HLM. Yeah. yeah. Not the most beautiful uh, yeah. of buildings. Yeah. But, you know, so I really wanted to bring that out because I thought it was really fascinating. Right. Okay. So tell us quickly about the new book, Murder in Bel Air, coming out June 4th, 2019. Mm -hmm. Is that still uh, this June 4th? And so what can you tell people about it so that they can't help but run out and buy it? It's set in an arrondissement you might not have gone to because okay. there's not many monuments. It's in the 12th arrondissement. And people say, what's in the 12th? It's very residential. Okay. Okay. It's on the way to the Bois. It's over there, back on the right bank. Uh -huh. It's on the way. If you're, It's behind Bastille if you're going uh, to Bois de Vincennes. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. It's also where the viaduct is, the promenade planté. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, mm -hmm, gorgeous. Yep. Yeah, my yep. friend's mother lives there, so I've stayed there many times. I've gone to the cheese shop with her. She takes me around, and uh, where my friend went to school, there's an old uh, folie, which is like uh, what do you call it? A little pleasure pavilion from. I don't know what that is. You know those folie? little like. Uh, Anyway, they're small, they're like a little hunting lodge, mini, because they all used to be countryside. Ah, uh, yeah, from way back when again. Way back, yeah. the kings, yeah. and, and there's Place de la Nation mm -hmm. is right there. Yep. So it's it's not a place, but there's the um, own, the second private cemetery in Paris mm. is there. Which, what's the name of that one? It's the Cimetière de Picpus. Mm, I, I know, that, which yeah. you, and it's where Lafayette is buried, Okay. who came and helped us with the revolution, and he went back to France, and he's buried there with an American flag. Uh -huh. And during the Second World War, the Germans left the American flag on this on this uh, on his oh, grave. Oh, interesting! Yeah. And also, it's where there was a lot during the Revolution where they chopped their heads off. They guillotined, they brought them and buried them where this private cemetery is in pits. Okay, because they were the commoners. Right. Right. Yeah. So lots of history in that cemetery. Yeah. Lots of convents. Yeah. It's got a lot going on. Okay. And murder. Oh, Amy gets involved on. with her, and then her mother has mm. brought her baby to this incredible uh, art-taught enrichment, and things just go bad to worse from there. <gasps> Amy's just back déjà. at work, and then her mother's involved, and people... Her mom, I don't, I don't know about her mom. <laughs> I'm just not sure. Besides being, I'm, she's got to be CIA, but there's just, uh, she's just not that trustworthy, I don't think. I, I know, and it, it, and it involves the Côte d'Ivoire. I know. Un coup d'état. Mais non. Oui. Impossible. C'est oui. trop déjà. <laughs> okay. The last thing we're going to talk about, we have some questions. So the last thing we t we're going to talk about, though, before we get to the questions. So thank you, uh, Kimberly, for sending in a couple questions. And if anyone else has questions, please let us know. They imminently, we're about to get to the questions. But before we do, uh, you do some, I mentioned this earlier, you do some tours to Paris. You have one coming up May 11th through the 18th. Your October one sold out. Mm -hmm. So people who are listening, people who are watching, uh, if you want to go to Paris, tell, this, tell them uh, what 
they would do if they were to go to on one of your tours? We'll go to Martine's uh, detective agency, the, you know, Duluc Detective, the basis for Duluc Detective. Yep. We'll go to the 13th arrondissement and explore places that Amy goes to in the books. And I'll, I usually make people uh, crawl over certain places. We do an Amy test. <laughs> it's can very you, physical. Yeah, it's a physical you, trip. Uh-huh. Can you do this? Can you do an Amy Le Duc? And um, we go to different places in the story. We drink champagne. We, uh, yeah, we just have a lot of fun. I okay. stay at the same hotel. Yeah. Um, I think it's one that's also in the books. Mm, well, it's, it, I wrote a story where Amy has a chase scene down the street from the hotel. And okay. When we stayed there, when I wrote about this three books ago. Oh, so. and you didn't, re- you didn't put two and two together until you were there? And yes. like, this looks really familiar. I think I read about this. Oh, maybe I wrote about this. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great chase scene there. Yeah. It's fun. We go do that. Yeah. So, um, okay. It's a lot of fun. You okay. see another part of Paris you wouldn't see normally. You yeah. Know? Do you take them into the subterranean? Well, no. it depends if the crowbar guy's around yeah. to get you in. Gilles. <laughs> Gilles. Right. Yeah, Gilles is like, I have to really know them before I take them. I would think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds a little a little tricky, but fun. We had a lot of fun when we were going around the uh, the tapestry. Uh, well, now there's a museum and trying to get in the back there where Amy gets. And yeah. um, we, go in the, we go in the Louvre, we do a treasure hunt. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of fun. It sounds fun. How many people, what's the limit? Do you cap it or is it just how? Ten. ten. Clap it at this one at, at ten. Yeah, that's a good number. Mm-hmm. Not too many, but a nice, a nice size group. Um, it's all on my website. It's all on the website, which is carablack.com, which I will mm-hmm. say again at the very end, but carablack.com, easy to remember. Um, and my book tour will come up for June pretty soon okay. on the website. Okay. And that's going to be all over the place. Maybe. I bet it will be. <laughs> I bet, given your track record, I bet <laughs> it will be. Uh, the, okay. So the last thing I want to... This is not a subject, but just a quick question, because I know I already said that we talked about the last subject, so I'm qualifying it so I can say ask one more thing and not have contradicted myself. You were asked in 2011, Paris Imperfect, in your Paris Imperfect interview, if you had any advice for aspiring writers. I'm sure this is a question that you get a million times, but I really liked, again, how you answered it. So I just want to, um, first of all, do you remember what you would say? What, what, what would be what you said back then or what you would say today? I'm curious if you remember what you said back then, and if so, just your thoughts on it and uh, whether it's still the advice that you would give. I don't know if I, I <laughs> write what you're passionate about. Yes, that's it. I mean, ding, that ding, hasn't ding, ding, changed. Ding. She's got it. Yeah. That yeah. hasn't changed yeah. because I, th- I mean, you've got to really want to write about it and it has to be fresh and interesting. And otherwise, how are you going to spend a year, two years, whatever, writing this story if you're not, you know? You have to be passionate. You want to tell this story. But I think sometimes, I mean, part of the, re- there were lots, so so often the simple answer is is the right answer, right? And it's like, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But I do hear so many writers, you know, there's the there are the writing groups where they get and they make themselves write together. And, and I'm not saying, it takes a lot of discipline. So that aspect I get of it, or, you know, I get, but, but still to me, I, my reaction oftentimes to that sort of thing is, but you've don't you love it so much that you want to do it? Because for me, I'm just so often it's, I need to find the time and place to do it. It's not about the inspiration or the passion and that's it. I have things that, that I want, that I want to, to say, um, I guess everybody's process is different in things though, but well, I mean, I sit down, I don't want to write it. I mean, it's hard to write, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's always easy. Yeah. Yeah. But the passion yeah. to write is, is I have to tell this story. I want to tell this exactly. story or like, 
I never thought of it that way. How can I find the answer? A lot of times, I think for me, writing a book is trying to find the answer. Mm -hmm. And I especially wanted to know a lot about the Cambodians and how uh, Paris today, in the 13th arrondissement, you have these tag artists, you know, this modern tagging. And then you have this uh, 15th century Goblin tapestry factory. Right. And so how, and they're on the forefront okay, of art and, you know, this special craft. And and how is that, you know, keeping the tradition? Yeah. And I actually became friends with a woman who's a tapestry weaver at the Gobelin. And we're friends on Instagram. And well, that means you're real friends. <laughs> yeah. That means you're real friends then. So, yeah. I could, I, you know, it's kind of fun. She's young, but she does these traditional design. You know, she's qualified. She's an artisan. And we had to, you know, study a long time. But I think it, it, that's so unique. We should look at it. And I didn't realize till I was writing, it's got these two poles. It would seem opposite poles. Mm -hmm. But the mayor funds a tag artist, you know, it's it's incorporated. They really like it. The mayor of the 13th arrondissement, which is fantastic, it. right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, in the book, you talked about the. I don't know if this happened in real life or if this was just in the book where they were going to do a tapestry of the tag art. Was that you, or did that really happen? That was kind of me. Yeah, which, but I th <laughs> but that's a perfect way of bringing those two together. Right, right? that's what I wanted yeah. to talk about. And I thought I don't think yeah. it, it, there's any reason it wouldn't happen. Right, exactly. It's, yeah. It was completely plausible. Okay, mm -hmm. but would be nonetheless interesting and shake things up a little bit. Okay, we have a couple questions. We're completely over time, like I said, um, but that's okay because no one's kicking us out. But Kimberly Lovato has a question. She said, um, will Aimé ever leave Paris and will Cara ever leave the mystery genre? Oh, those are two questions, two big ones. Well, she might leave if she has to go to Marseille. Well, that's true. Yeah, we, yeah. I guess we touched on that. So it would still be, but that's, a, that's an interesting point. It would still be Aimé if you do Marseille. Probably. Probably, yeah. But I am also working on um, my, ed my editor's in, uh, encouragement. She said, why don't you write something else? And so I'm right, I'm getting in, I'm about to send in final edits for a historical suspense uh -huh. so Amy, the new amy leduc will come out uh, this year and the historical suspense will come out in 19 i'm way <laughs> back there um, you're still in the 90s yeah 2020 okay and that is not amy no that is it's a standalone historical okay suspense. great great so yes so two um, good questions it's yeah. like having a, a palate cleanser mm -hmm. trying something different which has been very scary but yeah I want to do it. Yeah. And I think it's a good way to grow and stretch. Absolutely. And then go back to Aimee mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's more things I want to say about Aimee. Yeah. You know, and then maybe I'll do another one and then another Aimee. So, I, you know, it's... Right. Branching out, but trying. still sticking with what you what you love and mm -hmm. want to develop further and still yeah. explore further. Yeah. Exploring, yeah. I love that. Thank you, Kimberly, for the questions. Uh, wait, did we answer? We answered both. Yeah. Because we said uh, you're going to branch out and... Oh, well, we'll... And you'll leave... Yes. So we're going to Marseille, and yes, you're leaving the mysteries. Not leaving, but you're branching out from the mystery genre. And returning. Genre. Going and, out and, returning, and returning. Branching and coming back. Mm -hmm. There's a little island island in the stream there. Okay. Diane LeBeau says congrats. Hi, Diane. Wow. 20 years have flown by uh, since our small writing group. And she says, curious if you still follow your old pattern, six months in Paris researching and six months writing. So it sounds like you don't do that. But I, but what's... Yeah. Sorry, the bigger question. You can. But what's a, what's a secret to your discipline and continuity? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Diane. Yeah. Well, having a contract is really good. <laughs> it's like, there it you go. That you was know? an easy um, answer. Sure. Yeah. It's really about putting the derriere in the chair. Yeah. And I can't be, you know, inspired by the muse. But I think when I get sort of stuck or when things are happening, I go back and read what I wrote, you know, the day before, which I'm sure you do. Many right. people do. Right. And then I think about, 
why why is this hard and I go back and look where is this in the story of course I don't know the end of the story and I look at what's happening and then I go and this is what is the villain doing Mm -hmm. because the villain in crime fiction yeah. is the architect of the story. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have the story right. if there wasn't a crime You're committed. chasing their story and figuring out, unraveling yeah. their story. You're unra- it's like peeling an onion. Only, only we have the... Somebody else planted that onion. Yeah. <laughs> the detective comes in when, or the police come in when there's a crime. Yep. And then they have to go and investigate. But they're kind of unraveling what happened before, if what, you know, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. to get to that point. And then the meanwhile, the villain is throwing all these red herrings and stopping and making anonymous calls and whatever, chasing it. Throwing to, you off to stop the piece. Yeah. But they're kind of, have, they have to go back. Why did this happen? How could this have happened? Right. So mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it helps in my genre to go back and go, he's not sitting still. Whoa, mm-hmm. he's right. got so much at stake. He's, right. Let's let's see what he's doing, uh, you know, off scene. Off, yeah. You know, so that helps me especially. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that the beginning answer really was very succinct. The contract, the contract <laughs> and a deadline that makes me stay, uh, stay focused and disciplined. It's a job. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, a job. job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The last question we have here uh, is, has, Cara, has Cara had the same editor for 20 years? I've had two editors, two editors. Mm-hmm. and uh, the first editor was Laura Hoska, who founded Soho with Yuri Yurkevich, uh, founded Soho Press, and she was my editor. She was roll up her sleeves, red pencil, went, you know, kind of before, and she would, she lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and she would get on the number six from uh, from this publisher and go up there and be working on her manuscript in the, in the subway met you yeah know. and uh and uh, you know she wouldn't know what to do now when you can send it electronically and then <laughs> Laura passed it taught me so much mm. she's a great great editor um really asked me questions i think a great editor mm-hmm. is asking you mm-hmm. knew which questions to ask which question you know is this what i'm like Woo! and <laughs> so you makes you think and you answer it and then julia grams who's became my editor after Laura passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and Laura's daughter, uh, Bronwyn, who's also a writer, took over Soho Press. So okay. it's, we're in the, still in the family. Still in the family, yep. Not and, unlike uh, the detective agency. Yes. Uh-huh. There's a theme here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Juliet Grams is my editor now, and she just had a baby. Uh-huh. And uh, so... Congratulations, uh, Julia. Yeah, and she just, she has a new book. She wrote a book, having a baby, writing a book, Buying a house, getting married, you know, like all at once. Uh, in, in her book is coming out in May. Wow. The Seven or Eight Lives of Stella Fortuna. And that's fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Fiction. Oh, Said okay. about her Italian grandmothers who I met at her wedding. Uh-huh. Who, uh, who, yeah, just, you've got to read this book. Okay. Seven or Eight Lives of Stella Fortuna. But so anyway, that she's been my editor. I mean, that's not a crime novel. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. Okay. And right now she's asking, she's like, did you mean this or why did this happen? I'm like, oh, I know it in my head, right? Didn't I write that down? Yeah. I thought I wrote that down. Yeah, that I wasn't it clear. Was no, but it's Shoot. here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we need the outside, whether it's an editor or beta readers or your writing group or whomever, we have to have someone on the outside. Exactly. We have exactly. to have someone on the outside. We are out of time. Thank you very much, Cara. Let me just make sure we don't have... Yeah, okay, we're uh, we're good. Let me just mention what you have upcoming, and you can chime in if there's anything that I'm overlooking that's imminent. But like I said, you've got your uh, tours, your Tour de Paris, uh, May 11th to 18th, 2019. And I assume there are still places? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just so, go to the website. Yeah, so Cara Black, 
Cara, sorry, darn it, CaraBlack.com. Uh, February 22nd, you're at the College of Marin. Talk, is that a talk about your books or writing in general, or what, what are you doing with them? Yeah, I think I'm talking about murder in the, murder in the left, left bank. bank. Yes, uh-huh. next week, actually. Okay. So for people who are local, College of Marin, February 22nd, next week. In March, you will be at the Tucson Festival of Books. Yes. Uh, you're going to be on a couple of panels, inc- including La Crème du Crime. Did <laughs> you name that? The, the crime of the, cr- the cream of the crime. Did you <laughs> name we, that? Maybe. Yeah. No, I don't know. Someone did. C'est but I love that. I'm stealing it. Ouais, c'est, c'est, c'est marrant. Uh, hmm. And then last, but certainly not least, May 9th through 10th, you'll be at Crime Fest in, in Bristol, Bristol England. UK. Have you been mm-hmm. to that before? Yes. It's yeah, a great conference. A great I haven't been for a while, but I really want to go okay. and uh, get to see the British authors I really admire. You okay, know, yeah. I get to rub, I get to girl, fan, fangirl, fangirl. Girl, fan, fangirl. Yeah, it yeah, all works. With those yeah. British authors. <laughs> like, uh-huh. all right. I really it's, enjoy it. I read in the genre, so it's it's also fun for oh, me. Oh, I bet. I bet. And I bet there's just lots of exchange of ideas and going back and forth and yeah. All right, and then you jump over to Paris from there, it sounds like. Yeah, and then the new book, June 4th. June 4th. Murder in Bel Air. Murder Bel-Air. in Bel Air. Murder so, in the Bel Air? No, murder we're in We're not Bel-Air. in Hollywood. No, right. we're, we're in the Bel Air Quartier right. of the 12th arrondissement. Of the 12th. All yeah. right. I know. Thank you, Thank Cara, you. very much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Like I said, I had even more questions, but I think we covered a lot of ground and I learned a lot. And thanks for the opportunity, like I said, also to get back into the mystery genre. Now I have. Wait, we said, now I have 18 other books I need to read? Mm-hmm. 18 other books. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, your pace is so great, and they, they just, I mean, they're very, yeah. So that won't be a problem. I'm not worried about <laughs> it. I'm up to the challenge. I'm up to the pleasure. Uh, so thank you very much. Thank you, Kimberly, Diane, everyone else uh, who's been chiming in here. And, thank you. Um, uh, for joining and for the questions. And uh, you've got a couple more books coming out, so let's do it again. Okay. Okay, I look forward to that. All right. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks à again. À tout à l'heure. À la prochaine. À la prochaine. À la prochaine. Je bien. Uh, thanks again to my guest, mystery author Cara Black. Thanks Thank to you. Wordspace Studios for hosting me. They are, again, at wordspacestudios.com. Next week, we're going to learn all about something, like I said at the beginning of the show, that I've been passionate about for a long time and that's fascinated me for a long time and really helped me for a long time, which is acupuncture with Janice Feichtmeier. Thank you for watching and listening. If you like the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review whenever, wherever you happen to watch or listen. It makes a huge difference, and I really appreciate it. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media, books, including my new one, Porcelain Travels, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening and have a great week.